Life is a rich and uh, amazing experience. <laughs> we really go through the mill sometimes, you know. Mother really is uh, working hard to bring us home. And uh, I've had a lot of fun. Well, yeah, had a lot of fun, a lot of struggle, I think, uh, in this week. And, and in, in putting, having this lecture come together uh, has been a great relief, actually. And I hope it's some relief uh, to anybody that's that's having a tough run of it or a big challenge of things. Um, because there's, uh, I think some of the best material that I've found in the scriptures to date. Is that too bold? I don't know. <laughs> Certainly the scriptures I've enjoyed the most as far as uh, provoking thought and uh, some, some wow moments. Like, oh, wow, that, really? <laughs> how, could, how is that possible? And uh, by contemplating on them, by thinking about these things, uh, they'll take you to some very interesting places and probably already have for most of you. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm glad to be able to share them and, uh, and really feel, uh, well, privileged to speak, mostly just because I enjoy it. <laughs> and I enjoy spending this time uh, with you, and I enjoy spending this time thinking about these things and putting them together. I found a great Hafiz poem. I, I think I've read it before, since I've probably read almost all of them by now. But this one uh, really encapsulates this experience of life for, that, that lies in store for us. Uh, it betrays such a beautiful idea of the love of God. Uh, Hafiz named this poem, Never Say It Is Not Me. I taste what you taste. I know the kind of lyrics that you most like. I know which sounds will become resplendent in your mind and bring such pleasure to your feet that they will need to jump and whirl. When anything touches or enters your body, never say it is not me, for God is just trying to get close. I have no use for divine patience. My lips are now burning and everywhere. I am running from every corner of this earth and sky wanting to kiss you. I am every particle of wheat, every particle of dust. I am ground from his own body. I am rioting at your soul's door. I'm spinning in midair like a golden falling leaf, trying to win your glance. I am sweetly rolling against your walls and shores all night, even though you are asleep. I am singing from the mouths of animals and birds, honoring God's ancient promise, his need to let you know the truth. My dear, when anything ever touches or enters your body, never say it is not me, for I am just trying. God is just trying, for the beloved is just trying to get close. Hafiz has fallen into his glass and is now rushing to your side from every corner of existence, needing to say, I am yours. You know what's beautiful about that poem to me is it really flips 
the ideas that uh, I always have of, of I'm the one looking, you know, I'm the one trying to convince God or I'm trying to be good enough or to be pure enough or to be high enough or friendly enough or loving enough or any enough <laughs> to win God's love. And this poem just puts it completely around and makes me understand that's not the case at all. That God is trying through every event of every moment, trying to touch me, trying to win my glance, uh, uh, trying to win a recognition from me that I'll understand that everything that is around me is directly ground from the body of God, as it were. That it's a, it's a love letter casually left on a bench for me to find. It's a, you know, a love letter highlighted in a book waiting for me to read it. And to live like that and to understand that that's the reality, then maybe this heart, <laughs> which is just bent and determined on not seeing, you know, bound and determined on running and getting things that are, that are finite and small and impossible to, 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 to fulfill, that maybe at some point this mind that God is so desperately trying to win will notice, <laughs> will turn around and see. But for that to happen, we've got to cover a lot of bases because our ignorance has become chronic, <laughs> has become very deep. And so the medicine has to be very strong. We have to be sure, really be sure that we're earnest and sincere in our approach toward the divine and toward our life, toward living. That we're honest with ourselves about what we're doing, where we're going, what we're attempting to build or create or manifest. We have to have a sincerity of heart, a sincerity that, that runs to our core, that we're not just doing things out of guilt or doing things out of pleasure or doing things out of hoping to get or to take. We have to find a sincerity inside to be honest and to be straightforward with our inner selves, to, to listen, to pay attention, to hear the things that we need to hear, and to be able to let go of the things that we need to let go of. We need to be quiet so that we can find that love that burns always in our heart. We need to stop the noise and stop the treadmill, stop the frustrations, stop the wrong thinkings, and just in silence, touch that love that is what burns within us, that love that keeps our body at 98.6 degrees all the time, that's producing that heat, that's beating our heart and taking in our breath and blowing it out again, to remember that we're created in the image of the divine, that we are direct reflections of love alone, and that is the only way for us to feed these hungry, hungry compulsions of ours. We need to dedicate ourselves to truth, to having that inner alignment, that inner integrity that Swamiji lived so perfectly, where his thoughts and his words and his actions were always the same, were always in alignment with each other. He never said one thing and believed another, never acted one way and thought another. He was never externally a nice guy. <laughs> He was a nice guy through and through, always truthful, always honest, always straightforward, always willing to say the hard things, 
you know. I say this all the time because I can't think of Swami without being amazed. If there was any other figure in history, and I really believe this, that said the things that Swamiji said, they would have died for it. <laughs> you read the things that he said to the Americans, bald-faced, you know, you see the things he said to the Indians, bald-faced, the truths that he put out that, that were really counter to, to things that we value the most, you know. And you read those things, and I thought, I just, I'm amazed, how did he get away with that? Why, why didn't somebody shoot him, you know? Why didn't they take him out and beat him behind the, the theater after the lecture was over? And it goes back to, I think, a lesson that I heard from a, from a minister, Neil Gallagher, when I was 17. He gave a lecture on loving, and he said, you know, you can never correct somebody beyond the level to which they believe you love them. And I look at Swamiji and I understand that that's what Neil Gallagher was talking about. He could get away with saying anything because he loved us more than anything he could say. And I think the audience always felt that first. Anytime he challenged their beliefs, anytime he made an apparent attack or seeming insult on their way of life or their, or their belief systems or whatever it was that he had to say, that the love in him was so palpable that you always understood it was for your best, that you always understood it was going to take you forward to hear what he was saying, that it was going to make you a better person, that it was going to bring you closer to your ideal of what you hoped to be, of what you longed to be as a person. So let that set the stage for what we're going to jump into, this bewildering play of mother Bewildering, because it seems like as soon as you begin to understand uh, something, it becomes quickly apparent that you just don't, that you just don't get it, that God is just so big, and, and, and the, the love of, of that reality is, 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 cannot be plummeted. You, you cannot be plumbed. You can't touch it. You, you, we're always on the surface. You know, it's one of my, my favorite thoughts Swami Brahmananda said. He said that, you know, at Nirvikalpa Samadhi, that means the highest level of spiritual, spirituality that you can imagine, that, that we can envision or, or even project in this world, that highest manifestation of love, that love that sees God in everyone clearly and perfectly, that love that has no selfishness in it. He says it is only beginning at that point. It is only beginning at that point that you will fall into love eternally. You will never understand the depth of it, the breadth of it, the beauty of it, the magnificence of it, the intoxication of it. You will never be able to get bored <laughs> with the investigation into love. That the highest thing we can think of in this world is only the beginning. So it's funny in this world that we don't often see that, if ever, that it's so hard to be convinced of, so hard to understand. In the gospel, Hari's having a conversation with the master. He says, why is there so much suffering in the world? The master, this world is the play of God. It's like a game. In this game, there's joy, there's sorrow, there's virtue, there's vice, there's knowledge and ignorance, good and evil. The game cannot continue if sin and suffering are altogether eliminated from the creation. In this game of hide-and-seek, one has to touch the granny, 
the safe zone, in order to be free. But the granny is never pleased if she is touched at the very outset. It is God's wish that the play should continue for some time. Then, out of a hundred thousand kites, at best one or two break free. And you laugh and you clap your hands, O oh mother, watching them. In other words, after the practice of hard spiritual discipline, one or two have the vision of God through his grace and are liberated. Then the Divine Mother claps her hands in joy and exclaims, Bravo! There they go! They got it! Hari! But this play of God is our death. <laughs> the Master, smiling. Please tell me who you are. God alone has become all of this. Maya, the universe, living beings, the 24 cosmic principles. As the snake I bite and as the charmer I cure. It is God himself who has become both Vidya and Avidya. He's become both righteousness and sinfulness. He remains deluded by Maya of Avidya or ignorance, and again, with the help of the Guru, he is cured by Maya, the Maya of Vidya or knowledge. So we see the Master saying that this, this, this life is like a dream. You know, I've been talking about this a lot lately. But this idea when you go to sleep at night, there's only one person in that room, and yet your dream is filled with worlds and characters, gangsters and monsters. You're sitting there running, you know, through poor parts of town with a gang chasing you. And you're, you're, you're terrified, so much so that when you wake up, you're still, the heart's still beating, you're still breathing heavy. For what? <laughs> For what? When you wake up and you're breathing, you, you, you kind of, you know, touch the pillow and you're like, oh, Okay. <laughs> all right. Just a dream. Just a dream. And then with those, those three words, you can let it all go. No matter how bad that fear was, no matter how dangerous it was, no matter how sad it was, no matter how heart-wrenching it was, those three words, oh, it's just a dream. And you're fine. You're fine. That's what he's talking about to Hari here. Hari's saying, why is there so much suffering in this world? This world is horrible. And the master's saying, what are you talking about? This world is the play of God. It's for fun. Ah, but his fun's are death. Ah, but who are you? You know, in that dream, pretend you're in that dream having this conversation. And the master turns to you and he says, who are you? And of course, in the dream, you're going to look down and see your dream body and say, well, I'm this guy being chased by these hoodlums behind me. But he's looking at you knowing that you're the person sound asleep in a bed, very comfortable and warm under your feather pillows, and <laughs> that there's no danger, there's no pain, there's no suffering, that all of this is you. The people chasing you are you. The terrifying situation is you. The person being chased is you. That it's all you, and it's all great fun. And when you come to that understanding, just a dream, and everything is fine. So what are these ideas of life? How do we take this which seems so real, that causes so much suffering, so much anxiety, it causes a lot of happiness too. There's both sides of the coin here. But if you're going up, you know you're going to come down. So <laughs> that's always the struggle. That's always the struggle. Uh, Sri Nishigadatta, uh, one of the realized saints in Bombay, uh, a questioner comes to him and says something similar. He says, I don't like this play idea of God. I would rather compare the world to a workyard in which we are the builders. Maharaj says, you take it too seriously. 
What's wrong with play? You have a purpose only as long as you are not complete. Till then, completeness, perfection, is the purpose. But when you are complete in yourself, fully integrated within and without, then you enjoy the universe. You do not labor at it. To the, dis to the disintegrated, you may seem like you're working hard, but that is their illusion. Sportsmen, athletes, they seem to make tremendous effort, and yet their sole motive is to play and to display. Questioner, do you mean to say that God is just having fun, that he's engaged in purposeless action? Maharaj, God is not only true and good, he's also beautiful. Satyam Shivam Sundaram. He creates beauty for the joy of it. Questioner, well then beauty's his purpose. Maharaj, why do you keep trying to introduce the idea of purpose? Purpose implies movement, change, a sense of imperfection. God does not aim at beauty. Whatever he does is beautiful. Would you say that a flower is trying to be beautiful? It is beautiful by its nature. Similarly, God is perfection itself. He's not an effort at perfection. So here we have one option. If you don't like the idea of, 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 of play, you can see that this world, there's no purpose to it. There's no point in it unless you see yourself as imperfect, unless you, unless you see yourself as only a particular and not the general. This world is, is, is just God being. This is what he is. When God is this, nothing else. When I get up and I stand up here, this is me. It's just what I am, right? With my hair, although I... I like my haircut. I got a good haircut this week. <laughs> I left a little Buddhist imperfection in it, though, so I wouldn't get so I wouldn't get too proud about it. But <laughs> anyway, this whole this whole idea—it's just that this is God. This is what He is. He's not trying to do anything. You know, when 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 the sages talk in these ways, because we're going to look at a few possibilities here of, the, of some of the things that the sages say about this world. We've read that it's a play, and now we're reading that it's just his manifestation, that it's just him being beautiful, him being her being beautiful, being what he, she is, you know, alive and experienceable. But you can take either one of those ideas and find a great deal of peace in it. Take the idea of it being a play, that you're going to wake up and the first three words out of your mouth are going to be, just a dream. <laughs> Thank goodness. All that suffering, all that hard work, my 16-hour days at the office, just a dream. Of course, you might get a little upset at that time, too. <laughs> I went through all of that for what? Like that. Or you can just see that this is all God. Find the beauty in all of it. Let go of the particular perspective that only allows you to see one side of the coin at a time. Change rooms in your mind for a day, like Hafiz says. Experiment with being someone different, having a different perspective of the day. You know. Watch the news at night. Instead of being enraged, see if you can play around with it and try and put yourself in a position where you agree with what's being said. <laughs> But anyway, <laughs> experiment, touch with this, play with this life, play with your idea of self. It's completely moldable. There's nothing, there's nothing absolute here. This is a relative existence. 
All of your ideas are built on relative perspectives. They can all be moved around. You tweak one, the whole thing's going to change. How do you know that? Because Takor was in the same room as Hari. Hari was seeing a world of suffering and pain, and why is this world so miserable? And Takor was experiencing a world of bliss, a world of joy. He said, it's a, it, this place is a mansion of mirth. What are you talking about? They're in the same room. They're living in the same town, going along in the same way. This morning in this room, some of you are very happy. Some of you are not really happy. Some of you are sort of in between. Some are awake, some are asleep. What can you do? But we're all in the same room, right? We're all sitting here together. We create our own universe. You carry it with you. So experiment with that idea and stop being stuck. Stop being stuck. You don't have to be miserable. Swamiji is giving a class, and Miss Bell is in that class. And she says, she defines the world. She boldly says, this world is an old schoolhouse where we come to learn our lessons. <laughs> that is one thing I'm happy is not true. <laughs> Swami Vivekananda says, who told you that? <laughs> Miss Bell could not remember. Well, I don't think so. I think this world is a circus ring in which we are all clowns tumbling. That makes a lot more sense to me. <laughs> Ms. Bell, well, why do we tumble, Swami? Swami Vivekananda, because we like to tumble. When we get tired, we'll quit. This world is a play. You are his playmates. Go on and work without any sorrow, without any misery. See his play in the slums and in the saloons. Work to lift people, not that they are vile or degraded. Krishna does not say that. So we see, you know, again, Miss Bell doing what we all want to do, trying to give a meaning to this life, trying to give a, a purpose, to, you know, to, to say, oh, well, it's here to teach me something. I'm here to learn something. And Swamiji, of course, Swamiji says the opposite of this in another place in his complete works. He, <laughs> he also takes the classroom idea and develops it a little bit. But that's the way he is. Because his point is this. You can't put your finger on it. You can't say the world is this way. What do you know of the world? You have one little tiny mind with one little tiny mouth and two little ears and two little eyes that can't see past one room at a time, and you're going to define what the world is. You're going to plumb the depths of the visions of God with your experience in one little corner of one little planet and one little solar system among billions and trillions. What do we know? Swamiji's saying, give it up anyway. We're just tumbling. We're just having fun. You're going on with this life because you want to. You don't have to get up and go to work in the morning. You don't have to. But, but I have to feed, I have to, I have to buy, I have to pay. No. All of your reasons of why you have to all come back to a decision you made. A decision that you, a, a desire that you fulfilled. That puts you in the box you live in. You can step out of it at any time you want to. You can try a new life at any moment. You don't have to be stuck. You don't have to be limited. You don't have to suffer the, the small proximity of the box you've made. Change it. Your sons and daughters of freedom, for crying out loud. There's nothing to define you but you yourself. You were born as an image of love, an image of God, divine through and through. 
There was a time in your life when everybody came to you and were like, oh, you're so cute. I love you. You're the most sweet little thing. And then something happened. <laughs> what happened? How long has it been since somebody's come up and grabbed my chin and said, oh, you're so cute. You're so sweet. What changed? <laughs> I'm still me. I'm still the same me that was the baby. Why don't I get my little tug on the chin anymore? You know, it's that idea. Be free. Return to that idea of love. Return to that idea of love. You know, it's one of those things that Swamiji talks about, what gets us stuck here, what gets us put in this tight little space in this world that we define it so tightly and so unpleasantly for ourselves. He gives us some clues here. We're going to touch quite a few of them, and then we're going to jump into, I hope I have time to finish today's lecture, but uh, we're going to jump into some, some ways to get there, ways to return to being that, uh, that cute little baby in the crib, <laughs> as it were. Swamiji says, as soon as we react... We become slaves. You can spend a lot of time thinking about that one. As soon as we react, we become slaves. React to what? Anything. React to your own thought. React to an instance of something happening outside, seemingly. React to your senses. React to a taste. React to a smell. He says, as soon as you react, you become a slave. Contemplate that. Take, that. take that one little statement. Take it to your meditation tomorrow. It's wonderful where it leads. It's wonderful where it leads. A man blames me, and I immediately react in the form of anger. A little vibration which he created made me a slave. So we have to demonstrate our freedom. They alone are the sages who see in the highest, most learned man, or the lowest animal, or the worst and most wicked of mankind, neither a man nor a sage nor an animal, but the same God in all of them. Even in this life they have conquered relativity and have taken a firm stand upon this equality. God is pure, the same to all. Therefore such a sage would be a living God. This is the goal toward which we are going, and every form of worship, every action of mankind, is a method of attaining it. The man who wants money is striving for freedom, to get rid of the bondage of poverty. Every action of man is worship, because the idea is to attain freedom. And all action, directly or indirectly, tends to that. Only those actions that deter are to be avoided. The whole universe is worshiping, consciously or unconsciously. Only it does not know that even while it is cursing, it is another form of worshiping the same God that it is cursing. Because those who are cursing are also struggling for freedom. They never think that in reacting from a thing, they are making themselves slaves to it. It is hard to kick against the goad. There's a few wonderful ideas in here packed out. The whole world is worshiping. Whether they know it or not, whether you know it or not, whether we see it or not, the whole world is worshiping. I had a wonderful uh, experience with this idea a few months ago. I went to New York City uh, with, a, with one of my friends here and uh, spent the weekend there. And I was sitting in the park there, Central Park, and it was on a Saturday. And there was cent it was just being Central Park on a Saturday. There were musicians, there were poetry readers, there were people playing, people sleeping in the grass. And this idea occurred to me, and I sat there. 
and just watched and tried to open to that idea. All of this is worship. Everybody here is worshiping. Those people playing cricket over there, those people playing frisbee there, the, the, the boy and his girlfriend walking there, the street musicians there, the singer over there, all of them worshiping. And I found such an amazing bubble come up inside of just an, just an ecstatic happiness, just, just wanting to be able to break my body into its atom components and just fling it over all of it, to be, to be a part of everything, to be a part of all of the worship at once, all of the struggle at once, all of the effort of everybody trying with as much dignity as they could muster at that moment to find their nature, to express that infinite love that they know inside that haven't recognized. That, that perfection which they're constantly reminded of inside but can't find outside. Walking in Central Park on a beautiful Saturday afternoon, worshiping in everything that they were doing. It's a wonderful perspective for life. It's a wonderful thing to remember. When you go to the office, Stop for a moment. Stop with the, with the, with the, with the hilarity of, of the, 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 the point of perspective that you've taken on and look at it. These people aren't here for human resources. They're not here to write a new program. They're not here to do whatever your job does. They're worshiping. Every one of them is worshiping sincerely, earnestly, wholeheartedly, maybe in ignorance. They have no idea that they're worshiping because they haven't let go of their story. But you can. You can let go of your story for a minute and know that mothers put you there to look and see everybody's worshiping. Look at this. Isn't it amazing? Isn't it beautiful? Your office is a church. <laughs> your office is a temple. Look at all the offerings going on at all the little images, all the little cubicles, the little chapels <laughs> around. See where it takes you. <laughs> Hopefully you keep your job. <laughs> but this idea to see that equality in everyone, where's the judgment? So what you don't like what's happening in the world because your point of perspective is quite different from it. So what? So what you love what's going on in the world. It will change. <laughs> there will come a time when you won't. It goes back and forth. Everything changes. Everything rearranges constantly. It's relative, and in and of itself, it's meaningless. It's simply the manifestation of love in its billions of different forms. And sometimes you have to leave this perspective to see the sun shining on the other side to understand that that act is love. But Swamiji tells us that love is the only motivating force in this world. It's the only thing being manifested. To see it differently is ignorance. To see it differently is to think incorrectly about it. Hafiz, I've read this poem before, but it perfectly talks about this idea. In many parts of the world, water is scarce and it's precious. And people sometimes have to walk a great distance and carry heavy jugs on their heads. Because of our wisdom, we will travel far for love. All movement is a sign of thirst. Most speaking really says, I am hungry to know you. Every desire of your body is holy. Every desire of your body is holy. Dear one, 
Why wait until you're dying to discover this divine truth? It's to live in that perspective where you see everything is worship because your mind is, is dancing with the beloved, has never left the side of love, because you understand that you were born with this beacon of love inside that has to express by loving, by giving, by caring, by lifting up and encouraging, by being a strength to the people around you, by making sure that everyone in that office knows that you care, that you really do, and that you're trying to care more, that you're trying to give more. That's your, that, that, that is what you are. You're just a manifestation of love, of this divine love that's infinitely bigger than you are. It includes everyone that seems to be around us. It's your nature, and it is the only thing that will fulfill your life. To let that love express, to find as many ways to remove hindrances and blockages and misunderstandings as possible so that even one more tablespoon of love can manifest through you in every effort. All movement is a sign of thirst, this looking for God, this trying to find that perfection, trying to have that perfect relationship, trying to find that perfect security, trying to find that perfect strength, trying to find that one person who really understands. All movement is a sign of thirst for what? For God. Not just in everyone around you. In yourself. You get up and go to work. You think you go there to make money so that you can pay for your house and your car and your new flat screen television. That's not why you went to work. You went to work because you're hungry for the divine. Because you want something that fulfills you. Because you want something that is a perfect reflection of love. Because you want something that shows that inner perfection back to you. That perfect security. That's why you went to work. That's why you came here. It's why you're going to do everything else this afternoon. And this week. Change that perspective. Understand that that's true. And it will change the way you work. It will change the way you interact. It will change the pain of your day into something very different. Because it doesn't matter what the manifestation is. It doesn't matter what the circumstance is. Love is everywhere present and always perfect. Look for it. And your humdrum job will become an opportunity for bliss. Your job that seems like, oh God, I never intended to end up in a cubicle 40 hours a week doing something I care nothing about. That's just a perspective. It has nothing to do with your cubicle, your job, and the fact that you haven't cared about it. It has everything to do with an opportunity for you to change by knowing that you went there for love, to find it, to feed it, to nurture it, and to change the point of that cubicle into that, that that cubicle become a chapel where you worship and let everybody in your office become the God that you worship, serving them, bringing them food, bringing them flowers, bringing them cards, bringing them yourself in any way possible to make that office a light so that they can see a light, so that they can see something beyond the cubicle wall that's meaningful, that's independent of circumstance, 
and can be had anywhere at any time. Why wait until you're dying to discover this divine truth? That's a wonderful statement because you will understand when this body comes to the point where it's about to drop off, you're an hour from dying and you're like, my God, why did I do all that stuff? What was it all for? It's all gone now. Everything's going now. And you have that insight. Uh, uh, uh. It was love. It's love that I want to be remembered for. And it's love that I'm remembering right now. And it's love that's causing the pain of having to leave this world behind. Understand that now when you have more than an hour to do something about it. Back to Sri Nishragadatta. He's going to give us some cures. Actually, the, nest, the, the rest of the lecture is how to cure our misunderstanding. Your personal universe does not exist by itself. It is merely a limited and distorted view of what the real, of the real. It is not the universe that needs improving, but your way of looking that needs improving. Questioner, how do you view it, Maharaj? It is a stage on which the world drama is being played. The quality of the performance is all that matters, not what the actors say and do, but how they say it and how they do it. That's a beautiful thing. It takes off a lot of the pressure, you know, because I know that in, before I moved into the monastery, I was horribly frustrated because I couldn't find anything in my life that was worth my life. You know, I told I told that story that one time in that acting class where the the teacher was banging on the wall like every second. And after he'd been doing that for like, I don't know, four or five minutes, he said, every time that stick hits the wall, a moment of your life is gone. You will never have it back. You will never be able to go back, pick it up and spend it in a different way. And then he went on to talk about how that's the tool of the actor to take each moment and to throw it out into the audience. I went straight to therapy. <laughs> because for the that made such profound impact on me. I walked out of there and I just felt life running like water through my fingers and I was like I can't I can't stop it. It's running through my fingers. At this moment my life is being spent and I have no idea what to spend it on. I have no idea what is worth something that I'll never have back again. What is worth something that I will never be able to redefine again. It was a horrible horrible experience. Of course, it led me here, so it wasn't terrible, but, <laughs> but it was a horrible thing to go through. And to read this is a wonderful thing. It's not what you do. Don't go looking for the thing that's worth spending your life on, because you won't find it. Your life is infinitely expensive, infinitely valuable. You won't find anything worth spending it on. It's how you spend it. Give love. That's what makes life worthwhile. Open up that heart. Let what you are come out. Be that image of love. Be that image of God. Stop worrying about whether you've accomplished what your parents wanted you to accomplish or if you've accomplished what you wanted to accomplish. Let go. Change rooms in your mind for a day. Make the purpose of your life to give. Realize that everything you've done is to find love. And do it consciously. You won't, the funny thing about it, if you do this just for one hour, you'll notice the difference. 
If you live like this just for, for 15 minutes tomorrow or this afternoon, it will make a difference. You'll be like, whoa, <laughs> amazing. It takes nothing. It's not the world that needs changing. It's your way of seeing that needs to change. God can be seen, Thakur says, Ramakrishna says. God can be seen. He can be seen through the pure mind and the pure intelligence. Through attachment to lust and greed, the mind becomes impure. See, that's the thing that distorts our seeing. We call it lust and greed. But what is lust and greed? It's trying to take. It's trying to grab and to take something out of the world. Why does every sage, every religion say, ah, oh, don't get involved in those? We get all upset because we think of the particulars. You know, lust is pleasant. I like it. I, why would I want to get rid of that? You know, greed, a money. Money's going to be, I'll be free if I get all the money I want. I won't have to worry about rent. I won't have to worry about this, that, and the other. How can they be bad? It's not the particular they're talking about. <laughs> they don't care about that. What they care about is that this is how you block your view. You were born to give. Love is what you are. Love is what is infinitely flowing out of you. As long as you live like that, you'll find bliss, you'll find joy, you'll find meaning, you'll find, you'll find profundity in every moment. If you start to take, if that becomes your point, I gotta get money, I gotta get better food, I gotta get a vacation, I have to get a beautiful or a handsome husband or wife, I have to accomplish this I have to live in the biggest house I you know when your life becomes about taking when your life is about lust and greed there's no happiness in that it blocks your vision of God you won't see you will never see love everywhere and I had a conversation with a woman <laughs> people always get shocked when I talk about these things I sorry about that but I was on a I was on a bus next to this woman and she asked me what I did for a living and I said nothing she said what do you mean and I said I'm a monk <laughs> And she said, she got really hostile all of a sudden. She's like, Am I? she says, are you celibate? And I was like, yeah, I guess, okay. She says, she says, I think that's so sad. She says that my greatest ideas of love and unity have come through my, my experiences, you know, my sexual experiences. Sorry to take your mind there. But anyway, she said that. And, and she says, and she says, and what, and, what, and what do you get from yours? And, you know, I, I had been in the monastery at that point for like three months. So I, I didn't have a lot to tell her. I had pretty much just walked away from all the things she was pursuing. And I was like, mm, I don't know. But I tell you, she got off at the next stop and I, and I thought about that for the rest of the afternoon. And I couldn't come up with a really good answer. You know, I was like, wow, that's, a good, that's an interesting point. So I went to Swami, Swami Prabhupada over lunch. And I asked him, I said, what? What do we get from this, from, from this life, from these commitments? It's like, you know, I know I didn't find anything in them of themselves. That's why I walked away from them. But I didn't really know exactly what I was walking toward. You know, I really didn't have a good idea of what was going to be better than that. And Swami had a great point. He said, you see, if you go through the particular to express your love, it can be done, but only to the particular. Who can that woman love? 
She can only love that person that's attractive to her, that person who is of a certain age range and a certain weight and a certain ethnicity and makes a certain amount of money and, hangs and likes to do certain activities. That person she can love, and maybe she can love that person deeply. But the more she pursues that lifestyle, the more you pursue that lifestyle, the more and more particular your expression of love is going to be, and the smaller and smaller and smaller the number of the people that are going to benefit from it. If you can renounce your idea of taking from anybody, if you can renounce the ideas of pleasure and the things that, that, that you think are going to give you some fulfillment and walk away from that, your act of love becomes like a Jesus or like a Buddha and will be talked about for thousands of years. You will be able to love whoever comes in the room. You'll be able to give to whoever needs it, whether they're fat and ugly or skinny and, and, and handsome, who knows? Be, it won't matter. It won't even occur to you what they are. You'll see your beloved because you've learned to see the beloved in yourself, because you've learned to see that divinity within yourself, and because you saw it there, you assume it there. That's the magic of knowing the truth. That's the magic of living in a world where you're seeing clearly, where you've taken the blocks away, and you can see for just a moment the amazement of it all. Thakur goes on to say, Narendra once asked me, what good is there in bowing before the temple? The sight of the temple recalls to my mind God alone. Then God consciousness is kindled in my mind. God is present where people talk about him. One feels there the presence of all the holy places. Once a devotee was overwhelmed with ecstasy at the sight of a babla tree. The idea flashed in his mind that the handle of the axe that was used in the garden of the temple of Radhakanta was made from the wood of a babla tree. <laughs> Another devotee had such devotion for his teacher that he would be overwhelmed with divine feeling at the sight of his teacher's neighbors. Krishna consciousness would be kindled in Radha's mind at the sight of a cloud, a blue dress, or a painting of Krishna. She would become restless and cry like a mad person as, Oh, Krishna, where are you? You see what happens to this world when you fall in love with that divinity. You begin to see him everywhere. And if you're not seeing him, you're seeing the little love notes that he's left behind for you, things to remind you. And it can be as archaic as the wood of a tree that was made for an axe that's used in the temple, the place that you went to. <laughs> that reminds you about him. You know, you walk along, you have your, you have your, your beautiful moment with your wife and you're at the office the next day and the wind blows just the right way. And you look over and see a tree and you remember that you were holding her hand and walking through the moonlight at that time when you were on vacation together. You know, ah, that love. Let your life become that. That's what's happening here. That's what that whole poem of Hafiz was trying to say to you. Everything that's happening to you is the beloved trying to tickle you, get your attention. And you're being, and you're being a, a, a crotchety partner. <laughs> No, will you go away? You know, it's like, we don't want to think that way. We don't want to be reminded of that. We don't want to deal with that. You know, whatever our associations are, change the room in your mind for a day. Try to have a different perspective. Experiment and see what happens. How much of your box is real? How much of your suffering is real? Explore it. The easiest way to get hold of the mind is to sit quiet, let it drift where it will for a while, 
Hold fast to the idea, I am the witness watching my mind drift. The mind is not I. Then see, then see it think as if it were a thing entirely apart from yourself. Identify yourself with God. Identify yourself with love. Never with matter or with the mind. Know that this is the dream. Know that you are not any of this. You are watching through this particular porthole <laughs> into this vast aquarium of the divine. But you're not it. The I doesn't belong there. You're the dreamer, fast asleep, comfortable in your bed, resting in, in perfect contentment eternally. Don't be afraid. Watch it all happen and know that you are love itself, that you are separate and apart. That which changes is unreal. That which is unchanging alone is real. And thou art that. Give up this identification with the body. Stand up. Cherish positive thoughts. Say, everything is. Everything is me. So cherish those positive ideas. Cherish positive thoughts. Holy Mother says that too, her most famous quote. We talked about it on Thursday morning. When she says, you know, don't see the faults in others, see your own faults. She says that again later. And she says, she, she says you know, if, if, if you do a thousand nice things to somebody and one time you do a mean thing, she says, I can tell you the truth, they're going to remember that mean thing more than they remember the thousand things. She says, so don't be that person. Whenever somebody does something mean to you, Immediately in your mind, bring up the thousand times they were nice to you. Immediately. Throw it out. Replace that idea of the world. Anytime you see something wrong with something somebody does or says, throw it out and remember something beautiful they said or something beautiful that they did. Don't be that person who remembers that bad moment out of the 900 good moments. Change your room in your mind for a day. As I always preach that you should not decry a man by calling him a sinner, but that you should draw his attention to the omnipotent power that is in him. In the same way does the Bhagavan speak to Arjuna. It does not befit you. You are the Atman, the soul imperishable, beyond all evil. Having forgotten your real nature, you have, by thinking yourself a sinner, as one afflicted with bodily evils and mental grief, you have made yourself so. It does not befit you. So says the Bhagavan. Yield not to unmanliness, O son of Pritha. There is in the world neither sin nor misery, neither disease nor grief. If there is anything in the world which can be called sin, it is this, fear. Know that any work which brings out the latent power in you is virtue, and that which makes your body and mind weak is sin. Shake off this weakness, this faint-heartedness. You are a hero. This other behavior is unbecoming of you. That's what God tells us. That's what he's telling me right now. This depression, this sadness, this weakness, it's unbecoming. Let it go. You only see yourself that way because you've made yourself that way. It has nothing to do with you. 
You were created in the image of the divine, and you have access to an unlimited quantity of love, an unlimited quantity of, of perfection, of purity. Grab hold. Understand that is your nature. Let go of these petty things. Don't make the mistake of believing that you are small, that you're one among many. You are the many. Everything you've ever done is worship. Everything you've ever done was in the service of finding love, finding all the names of God hidden in all the secret places of this manifestation. Realize that. Stop thinking that it's cars, women, or men, or money, houses, jobs, prestige, fame. Stop. Hidden in every one of those things is a little card that has a name of God on it. That's why you find it attractive. That's why you want it. Let go of the thing and find the essence of what you're looking for and know that it's yours already. Every sage has told you so. Every religion has sung that song to you. Every event of every day reminds you of it. See it. Change rooms in your mind for a day. Understand that you are all children of the divine, full of love full of compassion, full of infinite energy. You alone can change the world, for it's not the world that needs changing, but the way that you see it. I saw you dancing last night on the roof of your house all alone. I felt your heart longing for the friend. I saw you whirling beneath the soft, bright rose that hung from an invisible stem in the sky. So I began to change into my best clothes in hopes of joining you, even though I live maybe a thousand miles away. And if you would have spun like an immaculate sphere just two more times, and then bowed again so sweetly to the east, you would have found God and I standing so near and lifting you into our arms. I saw you dancing last night near the roof of this world. Hafiz feels your soul in mine, calling for our beloved.